Well, hello, White Sox fans. Welcome to another edition of White Sox Daily Life. My name is Ian Eskrich. I am here with my co-host, the Danny Miller. Good af- good evening, rather. Hello. Mr. Miller, how are you? Uh, not too bad, man. Um, you know, uh, with some recent news, you know, we uh, jumped on for uh, an additional uh, session of the podcast last Tuesday when we are normally on Mondays. And, uh, you know, the more I look at things uh, here with the uh, Pedro Griffal hiring and, uh, you know, some of the other moves that have been made recently, uh, you know, I'm optimistic. But, uh, you know, outside of White Sox talk, uh, you know, the wife and I just had some uh, windows and siding installed. and. Oh. Our house is much more uh, airtight and less drafty, and I'm feeling pretty good about that. So, yeah, things are moving in the right direction here as we uh, roll into winter. How about you, man? Doing all right. You know, can't complain. Um, Been pretty chill, really. So, uh, had a weekend completely off, and that was nice. Had to clean the gutters. So, there's that. Super, super boring weekend, and that is awesome. I can dig that. Yeah. It's funny how that works out where it's a weekend off, but it's not really a weekend off. There's never really a such thing as being completely off when you're a homeowner, is there? Not so much, you know, but, <laughs> you know, I can I can, uh, I can, can live with it, you know. Um, things could be much worse, and uh, I'll take it. Um, so... Today, the White Sox uh, dropped the inevitable bomb that Josh Harrison is not being retained. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, as if, uh, you know, him wearing number, you know, Pedro Grafal wearing number five wasn't uh, news enough, besides the fact right. that Rick Hahn said, <laughs> oh, you know, he was nice enough to give up his number. Um, he did give up the number, and he gave up his spot in the clubhouse as well. Um, so we have no Josh Harrison anymore. Uh, they also announced that they were picking up the option on Tim Anderson, which surprise, surprise. Shocker. Yeah. Real surprised. Um, (laughs) yeah. Uh, yeah. So we, you know, obviously we're going to wait and see what happens with the rest of the roster, you know, as far as, uh, what ends up happening with uh, arbitration cases and all that stuff and who gets retained, um, you know, still waiting on a number of uh, gentlemen. You know, I know Adam Engel is slated to get a little pay bump despite the fact that he did not perform very well at all this last season. Yeah, it was kind of doo-doo for, I mean, not that he's ever been awesome, but uh, he has, you know, filled some holes when needed, and he has done so in ways that, uh, you know, could be, I guess, expected of a fourth outfielder. And this past season, not as much, you know. We we talk about Adam and, and how speedy he is, but he's also got the uh, rotten rubber band hammies, and uh, that probably plays a big factor in his performance here lately. Yeah, and you know, also the defensive stuff looked like it took a, at least a little bit of a step back this last season. Um, you know, he dropped that one foul ball in foul territory that ended up uh, snowballing on the team in one of the games, which yeah. was you know obviously not very pleasant. So, well, you got to wonder how much of that 
you know, was uh, pain factoring in. You know, guys say they're healthy, but anybody that's ever been an athlete in their life has kind of maybe gone out when they're not 100%. You know, you can say you're 100% all day long. And, you know, team doctors and coaches, as long as there's no evidence of any kind of, you know, pain or, or, you know, any kind of real medical diagnosis that shows there's some sort of something going on there. You know, guys can go out at 80, 85% and nobody would ever know. And, uh, you know, just it's, it's uncharacteristic of Adam to do some of the things that he did this year. So, uh, you know, I, I guess if he's going to get a small pay bump, it's really not that big of a deal because he's not making a ton of money anyway. This is true. Yeah, it's not really a, a huge deal, you know, uh, regardless. Um, yeah, you look know. at you. Yeah. Throwing the old gifts out there. To old John Rudels. Yeah, get him a get him some nice use of some nice emotes. Um yeah, I mean I don't really I guess I really don't have a you know, I don't necessarily I'm not worried obviously about the money with Engel. I don't think that the money with Engel is necessarily a deal breaker, obviously, with him, you know, making less than you know three million dollars. I assume that he'll probably make around like two or something like that. Um, you know, but, uh, there is the, the bit of that, uh, that pertains to the roster and his spot could certainly come in very handy with, uh, people that need, you know, rule five protection. And, you know, if any deals actually get made before those time, you know, before that time, happens so um i think what we got like uh four days or something like that until we find out uh you know whether people are accepting their options and whatever so we'll find out about aj pollock i assume that he's going to you know stay i don't see him going anywhere Uh, yeah there's not going to be any surprises there for sure i don't think so you know i think that you know i i've heard a few people say that you know if he doesn't like playing in chicago then he can go somewhere else. But I, I don't know. That's, that's a, you know, that's a pretty large decision to base on whether you enjoy playing somewhere or not, because there's no way he's getting anywhere close to $8 million, which is going to be the, you know, the balancing out point on his contract. I, there's just no way. Um, yeah, agreed. Yeah. So, um, also found out today that uh, Dylan Cease is a Cy Young Award finalist. Huh, another shocker there. Yeah, not much of one. Um, no, I was just kidding. That was a little tongue-in-cheek facetious comment there. But, you know, we knew he, hey, you know, maybe we're biased Sox fans. But when you look at the numbers, he deserves to be one of the three guys that are uh, in the uh, – final conversation here 100 percent, 100 percent. you know um you know again it's one of those things uh you know i kind of doubt that he's gonna win it um a he's on the white Sox, uh and b uh there i don't think there's any way justin verlander doesn't win it just because you know i just mean just because he's justin grand. verlander well i mean he pitched really really well 
as he as did. well. So um, I certainly would not begrudge the voters for them voting for Verlander. And, you know, that uh, World Series champion Justin Verlander as well as they uh, managed to finish off the Phillies in pretty quick fashion once that no-hitter happened. That was pretty much that. Yeah, well, you know, we can talk about Justin Verlander, World Series champion, but uh, his first outing in the uh, World Series was not the greatest look for Justin Verlander. He got touched up a little bit. Yeah, that's true. But, I mean, you know, those that award never has anything to do with playoff performance. So Correct. Otherwise, Mike Trout would never win MVP. Just saying. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, and Otani wouldn't have won either. Um Speaking of uh, those halos, uh, former White Sox second-round draft pick in 2002, <coughs> uh, Jeremy Reed got relieved of his duties as the hitting coach of the uh, aforementioned uh, Angels. So uh, he's looking for work. Uh, I don't think he's coming here. At least let's hope not. Um Although I will say, I don't think that the uh, the Angels necessarily hit badly, and I, you know, to me, you know, it's one of those things where the hitting coach is going to be the guy who takes the who takes the hit, you know, regardless of whether or not you know they do their job, just because the team was underperforming, and uh, you right. know, you look at Otani, you look at Trout, um, and you look at you know. A couple of the other guys, you know, like they had some decent hitters on the team. The problem is, is that they never have pitching, you know? And, uh, you know, you figure that would have been the the one that they would have concentrated on, you know, trying to fix their pitching woes, as is always the case over there on the left side of the country for those uh, poor halos. So, um you got to kind of feel for Mike Trout, though. The guy is just an absolute stud. And uh, I said kind of. I, I see you shaking your head over there, but I, I said kind of. You know, as a Sox fan, I could care less, to be honest with you. But, uh, you know, you just think a guy who is absolutely generational talent, and they kind of, you know, they go out and they make these moves in the offseason every year, but... Much like the Sox, they, they seem to skirt around their most obvious needs. And uh, you just get the feeling that this guy's never going to see a, a, a long-term postseason run with that team, unfortunately. That organization yeah. is going to keep him buried. He's going to be he, you know, he's gonna be like Dan Marino of baseball. You know, one of the best to never really make it to the pinnacle of the, well, the game. Well, he made it to the Super Bowl, which is... Obviously, more than we can say about uh, Michael Nelson Trout. So, I don't know. You know, I I am not going to predict that they'll never make the playoffs. But I mean, yeesh. I mean, that's been pretty rough for. Him. I mean, you know, the guy wins MVP after MVP after MVP, and then show Hey Otani shows up and he's winning MVPs, and you know, still can't uh, get out of the cellar over there. You know, so yeah, it's 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 unfortunate, but you know, uh, as long as the White Sox have something to say about it, I really uh, would prefer that Mike Trout doesn't see 
a World Series anytime soon. Yeah, that's fair. You know? um, I don't think kind of hoping to see the pinstripes there. Well, part uh, the of the black issue, and white pinstripes. The issue with that is that they got to beat the Astros, right? And that is the same issue that the White Sox have, which is beating right. the Astros. And I don't know. Did you watch any of that World Series? I did. I did. I watched. Uh, you know, it's funny because. I watched most of it, and I did not see the deciding game because I was at a uh, I was at a fiftieth wedding anniversary slash uh, you know vow renewals party for uh, a cousin of my wife, which was in itself a, a really great time. Uh, I got to see and learn about some of her family history, and you know, see some folks that we don't always get a chance to see a lot of, and it was a good time, but I missed the entire deciding game. Uh, I did get a text from a co-worker of mine somewhere in the middle about uh, Schwarber doing things that Schwarber does. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you can't deny it. The guy's got a great pro-season track record, He's you know, yeah. as a batter. Yeah, for sure. absolutely. His, uh, I think, you know, there was com- comparison a few years ago about – between Schwarber and Jock Peterson, people were saying that they wanted Jock Peterson, and I simply pointed out that all of Schwarber's postseason numbers are better than Jock Peterson's. Oh, far and away better. Um, yeah, and I mean, also, I will say that he has improved himself as far as defensively. You know, he's not, he's still not, you know, he's never going to be a gold glove outfielder, but he certainly has improved quite a bit to the point where he's at least not a major, you know, knock on the defense. Yeah. Right. So, uh, you know, I don't know. He's going to be, I forget, I forget what his, what his contract's for, but uh, I think he's there for another year or two. I think they, he signed like a three year deal with the Phillies. I don't remember, but I think that's what it was. But sounds uh, about right. Yeah, but you know Peterson's back out there, and of course, I've heard a couple people say, "Hey, maybe it's finally time for Jack Peterson." And I'm sitting here thinking to myself, "No, no, it's not. No, <laughs> he is. His time has come and passed." Yeah, uh, that would be the uh, aging veteran move that would be typical of a of a former GM of the Chicago White Sox. Well, yeah, I mean, I can't say one way or the other whether or not that would be something that uh, Han would do, but uh, I guess we'll find out this, this offseason. I don't know. It's, I, you know, I think that quite a bit of roster management slash uh, talent evaluation is going to boil down to what Pedro Griffal wants. You know, I mean, they obviously he's not going to have the same uh, gravitas that a TLR commanded due to his friendship with, you know, Jerry Reinsdorf. But I have to imagine that they're, you know, that Rick Hahn wants to do whatever he can to help out Pedro, you know, with, you know, definitely a more complete roster than what the White Sox have been trotting out there, which, you know, if Tony La Russa had as much to do with that roster as I think he did, you know, you can blame a bunch of that incomplete stuff on him saying, oh, yeah, they'll be fine. We'll just, you know, we'll just hit our way out of there and 
whatever. Clearly, that did not work out if he had anything to do with that. Spending, you know, getting them to spend all the money on the bullpen instead of on a uh, competent outfielder and a second baseman. Although I will say, you know, Josh Harrison at the end of the year ended up being right around his career norms, just like normal. Uh, just mm-hmm. so happened that his second half was a lot better than his first. So, correct. Unfortunately, uh, it would have been nice to probably see a lot more of him than the legend being trotted out there on a regular basis. But, uh, you know, neither option was exactly the guy we were looking for. Uh, you know, when you're talking about competitive windows and, and you know, early, we, we can beat this horse it, it, over and over again. But early in the season, everybody and their brother who was anybody that had, was any sort of expert in baseball or so-called expert, I I should say, because, you know, these guys get it wrong just as much as they get it right. But, you know, everybody that was talking about preseason predictions pretty much had the Sox walking away with the division again. And uh, lo and behold, things didn't work out anything like that at all whatsoever. And I think a big part of that plays in not only the roster construction that we've talked about over and over again, but also the – the lineup decisions that were made, you know, and we, we have beat up on Tony quite a bit here at White Sox Daily Live. But I mean, what kind of a joke were we living in when we had something like 55 or 56 unique lineups in the first 60 or 65 games or something? It was, I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. We can talk about injuries and, and, you know, Players uh, being shuffled around for you know other guys to make the lineup so that they can find a spot to get a bat in the order, whatever. Playing matchups against pitchers and blah 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 blah. The fact that it was you know a different lineup, I think at least the first forty-five games, if not more, there was not a duplicate lineup in there. I mean that's got to be some sort of record, maybe not, but I mean come on, it is insanity. It was certainly the first time that we had thought about it. Uh, well, I'll put it to you like this. How anybody in the in the organization above Tony LaRusso let that go for so long? You know, that's the one knock I will have on, on Rick Hahn. And, and, of course, you know, again, we can go back to the excuse of, well, you know, TLR was uh, Jerry's boy, you know. That's his homie. And, uh, you know, Rick Hahn, you're not allowed to say or do anything about it because that's, it, you know, that's law. I'm laying down the law, and you just got to deal with it. You know, we heard about Rick Hahn punching and kicking file cabinets and all kinds of other stuff, but, I mean, whew, somebody had to – I mean, even Jerry at one point had to say, okay, enough's enough, but nobody did. There was no accountability whatsoever. You would think. Um, so, you know, I, I'm the one thing, like another thing that I am waiting for is to find out how the rest of the staff for the White Sox – gets filled out um wait to see how you know who the hitting coach is who you know who's at first base and third base assuming that it's going to be different um that you know daryl boston's not going to be there Uh, i'm i'll tell you one thing that i'm definitely hoping for is that even if daryl boston stays and is the first base coach which i don't know why you know, other than, you know, that insular 
keeping it all in the family type thing, um, why he would stay at first base, because it's not like uh, the White Sox base running has been anything to write home about. Um, but his well, se- can I? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to step on you, but I feel like uh, did I not read somewhere that he was not being asked to return? Is that I have heard that, but I don't know that it's definite. I've heard that. Okay. I've heard that he's gone, <coughs> but until they fill that position and they say that Daryl Boston is gone, gone, I'm not going to believe it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I can. I can get on board with that train of thought. Well, I mean, one of the things that Pedro Griffal said in his press conference was that the White Sox needed to get better on defense, comma, obviously. And Daryl Boston's secondary function is outfield coach. And, you know, I understand that we've had a gold glove winner in Luis Robert. I understand that we've had a you know, Gold Glove nominee and Adam Engel. Um, he was Gold Glove nominee, right? They nominated him for the Gold Glove. I could have swore the year that he was uh, dropping all those home runs. I do believe so. So I, I realize that those two guys have done some things in the in recent years, and I understand that Gavin Sheets and Andrew Vaughn were also playing the outfield. But my my whole thing about this is that. I don't feel that the defense in the outfield has really improved to a point where, you know, I, I've seen plenty of bad outfielders play baseball. I don't feel right. that, you know, Vaughn and Sheets really progressed that much. Uh, in you know, and granted, they were given a very, very short time to you know, to learn the position. So I didn't expect them to be fantastic. Um, But, you know, between them, and I also felt that Aloy coming up, uh, you know, watching him play in Winston-Salem and Birmingham and Charlotte, Mm -hmm. I did not feel that he was a terrible outfielder watching him down there. Now, I certainly didn't think he was good, but... When he came to the White Sox, it seemed like he took a step back. Yeah, now, it sure did, actually. Now, whether that is due to coaching or whatever, um, one thing that I have thought about, and you know, this might be a tinfoil hat thing, um, but I've seen other outfielders have issues in left field at guaranteed rate. And one thing I've been wondering about, and this is not to give, you know, Aloy any excuse whatsoever, but do you think that it's possible, or I guess I'd say likely, not possible, because of course it could be possible, but uh, due to the construction of guaranteed rate with the multi-tiered luxury boxes, that there is an issue with sight lines on line drives uh, to left field. It's quite possible. Uh, you know, it's hard to say anything about an actual likelihood without 
you know, being able to get on the field and see it for myself. And not that I haven't been on that field. I've done, you know, some of the fan experiences that the White Sox do throughout the course of a season. And I've, I've, you know, walked the track and been on that field. And But I've never actually, you know, tried to look from a left fielder's perspective and see what that might look like. You know, the other thing that I think about is when they had the addition of the fundamentals deck out there in left field. Did that change the dynamic of the wind that blows around out there? Because it seems like those issues weren't really there until that happened. And you kind of wonder if there's a swirl happening somewhere in there. You know, it's a complete change from the rest of the architecture of, you know, the, uh, the club level and upper deck there. You know, they're there. It's just a, it's a completely different type of uh, section of the park. And I, I just wonder if that creates some kind of, you know, kind of a, a funneling effect, you know, maybe. I'm, and I'm not talking about, you know, full on tornadoes or anything, obviously. But, uh, you know, wind can play quite the factor. And I've always said that I, I wish they would have oriented that field a little bit differently. Where <laughs> we've you know, talked about that home- it, uh, so many times. Home plate could have been somewhere out in right field. You know, put it on the right field foul pole where you've got a view of the skyline in the background and the wind that comes out of the south in the Chicagoland area, you know, the south and southwest throughout most of the baseball season. You know, it's it might be a little bit different early in the season, a little bit different late in the season. But when you get into those summer months, generally the wind's blowing out of the southwest. Now, that's already kind of a little bit of a bandbox there, but... Could you imagine the amount of balls that would fly out of that park if it was oriented that way? And I yep. know I'm getting a little off topic here, but you know, just going back to Aloy's defense, I wonder if that fundamentals deck also plays a role in that. I mean, it's entirely possible. I mean, there's also the fact that uh, the right field sides had a bunch of things done to it as well uh, with the... Uh, Goose Island thing and then the Goose Island thing going away and now it's just a truck out there and you know out in center field you've got you know Ivy out there and whatever and you know on that riser yeah and they they changed the size of the scoreboard so that changes you know uh, there's got to be all sorts of big uh, changes in the current you know the air currents in that in that stadium and you know, like, you know, I, I th- we've talked about this one time before. I saw this uh, thing that they did over at, uh, you know, where the Giants play, and it had like all these arrows showing how uh, how the wind cur- current goes inside the stadium, and what happens when the sun goes down, and how it changes the wind current, and it shows like the arrows, you know, flying out one side or the other, or just doing like this big swirl, which happens as well. And it was like a multi level thing that showed that here. There's a different wind current than there is up in the upper deck, and it, you know, kind of does like a little bit more swirling up top, and yeah, it was really interesting, and I would like to see something like that for guaranteed rate, and I would also like to see how it's changed, (laughs) you know, over the last few years. Uh, Donuts33, Mark Orr. Uh, I feel like this would have been addressed by the team at some point, but it's possible a huge architectural mistake. Yeah. You know? 
I mean, it looks cool. Uh, it, it definitely added something to the stadium that was seemingly missing. You know, when that ballpark first opened up, uh, it did not open up to the greatest reviews. That uh, powder blue uh, color scheme that they had and the goofy-looking roof on top that, you know, everybody talks about how it looks like they landed a, a, a UFO in well, so Field. Yeah, but yeah, absolutely. It, it you know, if you remember back to the early days of the new Comiskey Park, you know, in 1990 or 1991, uh, it kind of looked goofy, too. And when they took out those top five rows or whatever it was and changed the color scheme and added that fundamentals deck, it, it definitely did something for the aesthetics of the park. But you have to wonder, like you're saying, if there was some sort of uh, wind study you know, some current study done. And if there wasn't, it seems like somebody dropped the ball quite drastically. Uh, but yeah, I would love to see, like you're saying, I'd love to see somebody do that type of wind study now. Because that would probably be some pretty good information to have for the team to go ahead and make the changes they need to make to make that ballpark just a little bit more uh, friendly to play in. Especially when you're playing half of your season's games there. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that the White Sox aren't hitting home runs because of it. And I'm not saying that Aloy's suddenly going to become a gold glove outfielder. Um, clearly, the, <laughs> the White Sox have been able to hit home runs there in the past. And they've had outf- you know most of the outfielders that play there play a better outfield than Aloy Jimenez. I, I'm just simply, you know, it's just a thought I've had after watching Aloy play defense in the minors and then come up and play and just don't say. look absolutely lost at points and uh it seems a little <laughs> strange you know from from that point of view um yeah so i mean i'm hoping that with uh Griffal coming on board that the defense is going to take a step in the right direction and i i heard rumors that the white Sox players were being trusted a little bit too much with uh you know taking care of their own, um, you know, fundamentals, drills, and, um, you know, when their schedule was for that and, you know, how much, you know, fundamental work they were getting every day, you know, infield and all that stuff. You know, I mean, clearly something was not right in the last year and things looked badly. Um the only thing, you know, you know how the twins picked up Correa and it was like he solidified that infield and made the infield that much better because he pushed those guys to be better and to do the little things correctly. And I'm hoping that Griffal coming on board can, you know, push these guys to be better and make the right plays, you know, because one of the quotes he said was that, you know, we're going to do the little things, you know, like hitting cutoff men and things like that. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about, because how many times did you see Luis Robert airmail a throw to the cutoff man and just throw it into the infield, you know? Yeah, you know, it, well, you got to wonder, are those just misses of the cutoff man, or is he trying to do more than he should? Just, I, you know, you don't know, but... I guess uh, with what Pedro Griffal is saying, it kind of gives you a little bit of hope that this team is going to get back to the basics 
and do exactly what he said. Do the small things. Do the little things. You know, because you and I talked about this before where, you know, some of the things these guys are missing on is things that we were taught in Little League as, you know, 8, 9, 10, 11 year olds. And you watch these guys play. And if I was a, a, a father who, you know, had a, a nine or 10 year old, I wouldn't tell him to watch these guys and say, see what his guy does. <laughs> no, no I, I'm, this is, don't do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, you see, and what, you I, see you know, I've helped, doing, yeah, don't do that. I've helped all. coach some little league, you know, of, of some of my buddy's kids, uh, you know, uh, not once would I, and when I was in little league, I had coaches sit us down and show us video of, of major league players and, and, clubs and what they were doing. I wouldn't do that at all now with this White Sox team the way it's been the last couple of seasons because defense has just been absolutely garbage. For lack of a better word, trash. Absolute trash. Yep. Uh, I mean, you could get away with showing some Yoan Mankata, you know, picking it at third base, but the thing about that is that you certainly couldn't show his highlights at second base because he was terrible over there. And maybe the fact that he's allowed to react a little bit more at third base rather than having to, you know, position himself and think a lot more at second base, especially with turning double plays and being in the right position for that to, you know, do the pivot and, right. you know, all the that wheel, stuff. The wheel play for the bunt, you know, all of those yeah. things come into factor. Uh, just a lot of moving parts at second base. And, uh, you know, maybe he just was not geared for any of that. Yeah, I mean, it's entirely possible, but I tell you what, boy can pick it over at third base, though. And yeah, and you know, well, that's the thing. The thing that gets me about him is he can pick it, and 98% of the time he's going to, but it's the misses on some of the routine plays that leave you scratching your head, and it doesn't happen often, but when it does, you're like, ah, come on. And those are the types of things that these most recent clubs have kind of let spin them out of control one little misstep and it turns into a huge pothole you know so maybe that's something that uh pedro griffo will also kind of get a handle on you know get these guys to uh not look back at that one moment and you know get the laser focus take that moment because it's going to happen every team is going to have some bad games where errors are going to be made you but you know with the right kind of leadership that's going to have you uh, put the blinders on and move past that, you might not let that snowball into something much larger like the Sox have done this past few years. Yeah, well, you shouldn't have two errors in a game multiple times in a week. You shouldn't have an error every game. There should be games where you do not have errors, and the White Sox had way too few of those this last season. Uh Mark says, I worry that it is a matter of million-dollar talent and five-cent heads. Entirely possible. And Grimtall says, hey, nerds. Hello. Yeah, I resemble that remark. Yeah. Good evening, Grimtall. Um, yeah, and, you know, when it comes to the uh, speaking of accountability, uh, you know, you hope that that is going to help spur on some accountability from each other. And... Hopefully the White Sox can manage to figure out some sort of a situation with second base where it's somebody that's defensively competent. And that is, you know, 
that's something I worry about. Um, now, I don't worry about the bats so much with uh, a Romy Gonzalez or a Lenin Sosa because I think that one of the two could hit major league pitching consistently and put up you know decent numbers there. Um, but what I do worry about that there is that neither one of those guys is necessarily a, you know, certainly not a glove first kind of guy. And there aren't any guys on the White Sox that I can think of. They're a glove first guy other than Engel, who, you know, as mentioned previously, not a whole lot of defense there from him this last year. You know, there wasn't like a whole lot of the, you know, jumping up and snaring home run balls and stuff like that this last year. So, you know, there has to at least, there at least has to be, you know, as, uh, you know, Mark Orr said, a callback to fundamentals. There has to be some sort of a, you know, grassroots movement to get these guys back to playing solid defensive baseball because, what we've seen out there for a long time really has been less than stellar for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So let me ask you this, since we're we're going down that road. Is there a free agent second baseman that you would feel okay about the White Sox going out and getting? And uh, I, I mean, I have one in mind that I, I would really wouldn't mind seeing on the on the south side. And I I'm not gonna. I'm sure you can figure out who it is, but uh, I'm not gonna quite throw my hat in the ring. But uh, is he? Uh, is there a guy that's affordable? In your I, opinion, that could be a difference maker at second base for the White Sox, free agent wise, free agent dollars, you know, dollars only. Well, you know. As as being a second base, uh, specifically a second baseman, um, I know that Gene Segura was uh, let go today by the Phillies. They bought out his option. Um, you know, and people had talked about trying to pick him up from the Phillies this year in a trade, and obviously that didn't happen, and he you know, did some pretty clutch stuff for the Phillies on their run to the World Series. Uh, they call him the Clutch Gene, which is a pretty awesome nickname. Um, but, you know, I have to say that if I had... If money was not an object, which it obviously is, um, <coughs> if money was no object, I'd pick up Trey Turner. You know? And bump Tim. Sorry, Tim, you can't play shortstop anymore. You know, you learn now, second base. Are you base trading or, Tim? I probably or would are you at that moving point. him yeah. over to second base? I would probably, you know, I probably get rid of him at that point because you know he's not going to be happy playing second base and he's going to be grumbling all the time and you know it's not probably not something that I want to deal with because you say, oh, I earned shortstop. Well, guess what? Trey Turner earned it more than you. <laughs> You know, <laughs> he is a better player, one hundred percent. And as we've said before, you know there are there's a case to be made for him being a little bit of a distraction, especially in this last uh, year or so. You know, uh, it could I don't be know argued. If I nec- 
Yeah, I'm not going to try to make that argument. I'm not going to get into it. We've said it a thousand times. We're not going to get into all the drama and the BS. But, uh, you know, it's possible that uh, the guy who uh, was once considered the fire of this baseball team didn't look like he was having much fun before he went down with the injury. And, uh, you know, that might have played a role in the attitude of this team because, uh, you know, when Timmy's not having fun, it didn't look like anybody was having fun for a long time there. I mean, these guys just lacked any kind of real emotion. They looked defeated before they took the field. So, you know, there's a few things to be said about that. And, of course, you know, we talked about as well. Uh, he's got the team-friendly contract. White Sox did just pick up, as mentioned earlier, uh, his $12.5 million option this season. Uh, there are probably quite a few teams out there that would be happy to have a Tim Anderson on their team doing the things that he does with the bat. Now, yeah, of course, the, the defense can at times leave something to be desired, but it's not atrocious. Uh, but, yeah, I, you know, $12.5 million as opposed to, like, what a Trey Turner or, you know, any of these other big-name guys are going to, you know, command out there, might be attractive to some of these other teams. You might be able to get some value in return. So, just saying, floating it. I've been floating it for weeks. I'm going to keep it out there. I'm just throwing it back out there. I know I'm beating a dead horse, but I'm, I'm doing it because I'm throwing it into the ether and hoping that some sort of move, and it doesn't necessarily have to be Tim Anderson, but some sort of move that makes me feel like the needle is moving in the right direction happens this off season. Yeah. I think it's going to be interesting to find out what ends up happening this year. Um, you know, as far as what kind of moves were made are made uh, and to answer your question, donuts. Yeah. Yes. Dansby Swanson is a free agent. Um, Probably very unaffordable for you. Well, for the White Sox, yeah, because everybody's unaffordable for the White Sox. Um, yeah, I, you know, I, you know, he, Rick Hahn said that throwing money at these problems is not the solution, which I disagree with. But he also said that he's going to move, you know, that there's going to be some things happening in the trade market more than likely. Now, you know, but he's also been quoted as saying, well, don't expect anything, you know, don't expect any huge moves. And it's like, okay, so if there's not going to be like any seismic shift or, you know, any major changes. Now, I understand that you know you still think that these guys can can do the thing uh but after watching last year regardless of who the manager is to not have the sense of pride to show up and play better than they did and not fight more than they did you know there has to be some sort of of a change. And I understand that Tony LaRusso is gone and now Pedro Grifol is, is the, is the manager, but is that what you're banking on? Well, I mean, if you're talking about seismic moves, if the seismic move is the hiring of Pedro Grifol, 
and the emergence of Oscar Colas. And that's really going to be your two big off-season changes to this roster. I'm not feeling great about it. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Oscar Colas probably, even if he is not fully 100% developed, which, you know, we kind of think he's pretty much ready to go. Uh, But let's just say even if he's not... Probably a, a huge improvement over anything that we've had out defensively, in right field in a long time. at least immediate upgrade yeah. in right field and a left-handed power bat, which Sox fans have been pining for for it seems like you know a decade now. Yeah, uh, you know, fantastic. That's great. And if it works out the way we all hope it works out, it's it's amazing. But if it's the only real move made this year, you're still looking at a hole at second base. Maybe can be filled within the organization, like you said, uh, Lenny Sosa or, you know, Romy Gonzalez or, you know, somebody else who's who's a maybe not the biggest bet, like we talked about with those two guys. And maybe you bring in a, a solid defender, a solid glove, which, like you said, there really isn't anybody in the organization that's got you know, gold glove type defense, but there's probably a handful of guys that are a little bit better with the glove, a little more slick with the glove than those two guys. But, you know, if we're looking at just Pedro Gafal and his new coaching staff and the emergence of Oscar Colas and, you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe we see more of Carlos Perez behind the dish. Does that make mm. you feel like this is, I don't think that's coming. Why not? Because you've got they, the fraternity of Cuban-American catchers from Miami paired together in Pedro and Yaz. It, yeah. yeah, yeah. well, I we did we did see them hanging out at, yeah. at a game earlier yeah. this week. They're practically family. Late last week. Right. You know, just, just I get due that. To that. But, you know, Yaz has got to get himself healthy before we even talk about that. Having two working and it legs was, is a plus. It was it was quite obvious that even when he was playing this season, he probably could have been on the IL. So you know, I, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe we won't see a lot of Carlos Perez. I, I, yeah, I'm know. not saying that we won't see much of Carlos Perez, but we're not going to see more of him because Yasmani yeah, Grandel is making 18 million dollars this year, and they're going to figure out whether or not he's done. Or whether Pedro Grafal can do a, you know, a resurgence and get you know some Salvi Perez type of lightning in a bottle out of Yaz. You know, I mean, regardless of whether they <laughs> you know let him walk after this season, you know, they well, still you what, try and get something if they can. If he can hit dingers like Salvi does, he really don't have to run a whole lot. So there's that, but you know, squatting behind a dish on on some bad, some bad legs is uh, not going to be easy for him. I hope you know. I hope I'm wrong. I hope the guy gets healthy in the off season. Maybe takes some time and you know builds up some strength and gets that. Get me. He's not ancient, you know. Let's be honest, but he has been put through the ringer yeah. as a catcher. So, you know, I guess time will tell on that front. Yeah. I mean, you know, 
like Pedro Griffal said, if I'm the smartest man in the room, then we've got a problem. Uh, I think that if Pedro Griffal is the big move, that the White Sox, like the only thing that they do to really change things up and bring up Oscar Colas, if that's the two things that they're doing, then we've also got a big problem. So I don't, <laughs> you know, I mean, obviously uh, Abreu is gone. So, you know, you're taking your best offensive weapon, you know, consistently anyway, uh, out of the lineup and he's going elsewhere. And so that's one source of production that's gone. And, you know, you have to replace that first off. And, uh, you know, I mean, he wasn't a great first baseman defensively, but he had improved a lot. Now we've got to wait and see how Andrew Vaughn is going to do defensively as a first baseman. You know, he's going to have to get those errant throws that T.A. does, you know? Yeah, I mean, you've seen T.A.'s throws. uh, And take a good six inches away from the height and the reach. Yep, exactly. Yeah, that, uh, you know, Jose Abreu had on him. Uh, it's also a very good point, but you know, Vaughn being a little bit younger, uh, maybe I won't say faster cause we, we seen that he is not fleet of foot and by any means necessary, but, uh, you know, I, I think we saw enough as far as the bat, the bat plays. Uh, I was pleasantly surprised with the, with the step that he took this past season. And you can only think that a, a kid who was kind of touted as being one of the best pure hitters in his draft, maybe the best pure hitter in the draft, and, and probably closest to being major league ready as a hitter in his draft class, you would think he's going to take another step this year. So, I mean, are we are we going to get Jose, Jose Abreu numbers out of him? Man, eh, probably not. That's going to be difficult to do. I mean, the, the guy was you know at the top of the game year in and year out. Uh, but you kind of hope that with the emergence of Oscar Colas and that hole that has been out there in right field between him and Andrew Vaughn, you can replace those numbers some. You know yep. what I mean? And and I I don't want to I hate to sound like Moneyball here where it's like you know oh we're getting rid of Giambi well, how do we replace his numbers? Yeah. Well, we take these three guys and add them together and there's him. You know what I mean? Like okay. Uh, I don't expect that, but you kind of hope for it. But there's still a glaring hole at second base. There's still some injury issues at catcher. Uh, the bullpen that we were told was supposed to be outstanding last season really needs a rework of sorts this year. And, you know, there's there's a couple of spots there that could uh, Use a little bolstering, and I got to be honest with you: if we get another off season where we sign three free agent bullpen pitchers to the tune of you know twenty three, twenty four million dollars, and we don't get anything else as far as free agents or big trades go, that's going to be you know we talked about this last week when I said you know Rick Hahn is getting a pass from me for now. It's kind of a show me moment. Well, if that's the off season we're having, I'm not rolling into the season. Feel like you need to show me anymore. I'm gonna feel like we're. Uh, I'm pretty much. I'm at that point where I'm ready to write you off. Like probably sixty percent of the fan base has already. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I, there's 
report out there from uh, I think it was John Heyman said that uh, the White Sox are going to spend money this 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 off season and that he expects uh, Jose Abreu to be resigned for three years, seventy five million dollars. Hey, thanks for the follow there, GM nine seventy three. Appreciate that. You know, Rick, is that you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rick Hahn, is that your burner? Are you um, listening? <laughs> Uh, Listen. <laughs> so three years, $75 million for Jose Bray. Now, I don't, you know, I'm not saying I don't, you know, that I would want Jose Bray gone because I don't know how you could look at his production at any point in time and say, I want him gone because he's been the only consistent offensive member of the White Sox for, you know, years. He plays all the time despite being hurt or, you know, injured, whatever. And I don't want him gone. However, the only way that I think that you can keep him is if you're trading Andrew Vaughn. Yeah, there's just not there's not enough places on the field for four first basemen on this team. Yeah, and I, yeah, I don't think you can do a one-year deal either, you know? Because if you do another one of those one-year deals – you know, just to keep him around for one year, then you're just prolonging this whole thing with Vaughn. Now, right. what purpose does that serve? Because after that one year, well, if Jose decides to go somewhere else, then you're stuck, you know, if you deal Vaughn. I mean, it, it's just, it's kind of like, you know, obviously we talked about this before that they painted themselves into a corner with their roster construction, but. You know, I don't care what John Heyman says. If you if you sign Jose Abreu for three seventy five, then Vaughn's gone, um, or or yeah, or Aloy's no gone, one or the other. But I don't think that I would rather have Aloy in left field than I would Andrew Vaughn in left field. Right, and then you know if you're if you're gonna trade Aloy. What can you expect in return for a guy who spends more time on the injured list than he does playing? Now, he, he flourished in the DH role last year. Yeah. When he came back from injury and we were traipsing, you know, two guys with cement boots out in the outfield, you know, half the season. Uh, Aloy, you know, kind of had to eat his words when he said he d- didn't think he would be a great DH because he wouldn't be able to keep his head in the game because he's sitting on the bench and just grabbing the bat when it's his turn. Uh, kind of proved himself wrong on that one. Proved a few of us wrong on that one. Looked pretty dang good in that position. Uh, but was it enough to drive up his value in a trade at this particular moment? I don't know. I don't think so. I think, you know, obviously I think people would still take Aloy on their team. And I mean, to be honest, he's the only person on the team who's really shown the ability to be that 40 plus home run guy on the team. Yeah. You know, and no, he can definitely mash. Yeah. Vaughn's not doing that. You know, I mean, he's still hasn't hit 20 home runs once. Um, you know, so, you know, Luis Robert, same thing, you know, you, that's what you're looking at. You know, is a uh, you know middle of the road home run power. You know, despite the fact that Luis Robert does have ridiculous power, he hasn't shown the ability with the bat to ball to be able to do that. Now that's 
not the case with Aloy, is that his bat to ball is elite as is his power. You know, but yeah. this team needs to, you know, as they say, the ball go far, team go far. And the White Sox last year were pathetic when it came to hitting home runs. They hit less, you know, I think they just barely, you know, went over what they, you know, the amount of home runs that they had in 2020. Yeah. You know, which is, yeah. I mean, at least it took forever for them to get there. You know, I think they had like 20-something games or something like that left when they finally passed. Yeah, we were in September <sighs> by the time they passed their 2020 home run total. Hey, but they had a lot of singles. Yeah, a lot. Yeah. Unfortunately, they didn't singles. string enough. They, they didn't string enough of them together with guys on base. Yeah, because and, uh, it's increasingly harder and harder to do that with guys throwing 98 miles an hour with 18 inches of horizontal and vertical break. Go figure, you know? Right. So <laughs> uh, I guess a last, last uh, bit of business here. Um, there are rumors flying around that uh, Mike Tosar, who is a ah. – hitting coach in the Royals system is going to be the guy that Pedro Grafal is going to bring on as the hitting coach. Now he's still under contract. So they, they haven't, uh, you know, made that announcement yet. Um, but he is one of the, he is the guy who gets, you know, credit along with Pedro Grafal of turning Salvi Perez into the 48 home run, guy and working you know between those two guys you get Salvi and Soler hitting you know missiles out of Kauffman Stadium so you know as I say ball go far team go far um it doesn't sound like he's going to be encouraging anybody to hit singles not that Frank Menachino necessarily did except for you know it's that uh the F the home run thing was meant specifically for Nick Madrigal when it was brought up, uh, when (laughs) Menachino said it, uh, but you know, the message from your manager, Tony La Russa is don't strike out, you know, hit a single, you know, which is all well and good, except for the fact that, you know, as, as mentioned, they hit a thousand singles, and didn't hit very many home runs. Yeah, and you know you're not going. You shouldn't be going to the plate with that approach. Uh, that should be more of your two strike approach. Where hey, you know maybe uh, you know cut the swing down a little bit. Just make contact. You know you hope you find a hole and put it through. It's better than not putting the bat on the ball at all. Although some folks would say you know with guys on base, if you're uh, you're hitting in a double plays. It's not. It might be worse. <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. So, you know, rather have that. one out uh, than two. Right. You know, uh, <laughs> we're going to launch angle a little bit, get that ball up in the air. At least, you know, how many times did we see it this season where guys were left on third base with less than two outs because the White Sox couldn't even get a sacrifice fly Nothing out of their pain. hitters? So much so, pain. You know, we we talked about this over and over again. I don't know how many times Leary Garcia would come up in the in an inning and have guys in scoring position and hit into a double play. You know, it's hard to imagine. It, we talked about him having a negative WRC plus, but you know how you get a WRC plus? That's how you do it. 
100 is league average. How do you go below zero? Well, when you're costing team runs. That's how you go below zero. You're costing team runs because you come to the plate with guys on base and you can't move them station to station, let alone score them. Uh, you know, when you have a, a negative WRC plus, when 100 is league average and you're negative 40, there's an issue. Yes. And when you come up with runners in scoring position in the most important part of the game, routinely, that is a problem. Yes. Um, so uh, that's pretty much it for this week. There's not really a whole lot going on. Uh, you know, we'll see. Hopefully we get some coach appointments this week and uh, we find out what's, you know, what's going to happen with uh, who they're going to keep around and who they're not. I mean, we already know about T.A. and Josh Harrison, but hopefully, you know, we find out uh, what's going on with the uh, guys that uh, arbitration numbers and all that stuff. I mean, I know that the arbitration cases themselves will go on till next year, but, you know, hopefully there are some decisions made and, um, you know, I, I don't know if you caught it during the press conference, but there was a thing where Pedro Griffal happened to mention something about, uh, do you want to mention this, you know, and Rick Hahn said, no, no, it's still a work in progress. And it's he said sports, so uh, I was kind of thinking that it was along the lines of the biomechanics slash uh, health factor of keeping guys healthy and using biomechanics to try and keep these guys healthy. And I know that there was a article by uh, James Fegan about said subject and uh, them using that uh, and implementing that in the health uh, you know, in the trainer's office, and let's hope that there's at least some sort of positive movement in this thing, and hopefully keep those guys healthy. Yeah, but, uh, I, to be honest with you, I'd like to hear about an overhaul of the the strength the strength and conditioning staff, but uh, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, everybody complained about the fact that they did not have, you know, the entire off season last year to get these guys ready and try and get them back to being healthy. And, you know, that's, you know, that's fine. You know, um, I get it. You know, it, there's there, you know, that certainly probably did play a factor in that, you know, the last couple of off seasons have been pretty terrible as far as timelines go. And, uh, and, you know, allowing these guys to get their routines down to stay healthy and to get healthy and to build themselves up so they could, you know, continue to be healthy. I think that's an indictment on the players a little bit too. When you think about that, because if they're left to their own devices to make sure that they are uh, ready when the team can't step in and is not allowed to step in, uh, you got to kind of wonder about where these guys heads were at. And maybe that's uh, something that'll change with the uh, regime change here. Just keeping my fingers crossed. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, we've, you know, when left to their own devices, we've seen how this team has operated because that was pretty much how everything was this last past season. You know, is that everybody was left to police themselves and to take care of themselves. And you saw how that worked out. Ah, yeah. So accountability is, is something that, you know, I'm looking forward to. It sounds like Pedro's going to do that. And, uh, you know, we'll see where it takes us. 
Let's hope so. All right. Well, uh, at Daily White Sox on Twitter, uh, uh, whitesoxdaily.substack.com is where you can find the written articles and such. Uh, We are on YouTube, and uh, we have a Facebook group as well, uh, which we cross-post to as well. Uh, You'll be able to find this in podcast form tomorrow morning um, at anywhere you get your podcast form. And, uh, yeah, as well as on our, as our website as well. So, uh, my name is Ian Eskridge for my co-host, the Danny Miller. We thank you guys for coming in and hanging out and, uh, talking in the chat and, uh, we will see you guys next week, hopefully with, uh, some, some good news and hopefully there's, uh, hopefully there's some movement. We'll see what happens with the, uh, with the roster, but, uh, Thanks, guys. We appreciate it. You guys have a great week, and we will talk to you next week. All right? Thanks. Bye.